Well, HD Flea, week one is down with releasing our film. Tell me, what is what is the highlight of this week from hearing from the people? Well, you got you got a good one. I know you. Do. I do have a I have a good story, and um, the day we released the film. So, guys, if you don't know this, we released a film, um, and I, I walked over, and I was hanging with my grandma, Nan. And I'm like, Nan, you want to watch a movie? She goes, sure. So I put it on the TV for her. And she looked at me within like the first couple of seconds. She's like, you made this movie? I'm like, yeah. And, you know, the movie plays. And um, at the end, I'm like looking in the TV room and I see Nan's head. And it's kind of drooped to one side. I'm like, oh, gosh. She fell asleep in the movie and starting to get in my head. I'm like, dang it. This is a sleeper. We made a sleeper. And uh, then I go in and she's crying. And her uh, her eyes were just full of these lakes. And I go, Dan. And I'm like, what's going on? She goes, that that movie I felt like was just full of hope. Mm. And... It was really cool because I think anytime there's a, a plot twist and, you know, I went in there thinking I was going to wake her up and I'm like, where'd you fall asleep in the movie? And then just seeing her um, really be moved by the film. It was cool. So it was uh, probably the highlight of my week thus far in, in terms of releasing this film. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, and she's hard. in it. Did she did she recognize her photo or no? No, I had to stop it. I go, Nan, do you see who that is? She goes, No, but that's one attractive woman. <laughs> I go, Nan, that's you. She goes, No, it isn't. And I couldn't really <laughs> zoom in. I go, Yes, it is. She goes, Where was I? I go, Nan, you were in Uganda. She goes, Gosh, I loved that place. <laughs> that's the most Nan interaction I've ever heard. Oh, that's awesome. I love how uh, just in releasing a project like this, and obviously, you know, we've talked about it for several years now and um, told people we were working on it. I just love the the energy around releasing something and the people that end up reaching out, congratulating, but also just being like, I can't wait to watch it. And I think because we released it on what are we announced it on a Wednesday, most people are watching this weekend. Um so I'm I'm looking forward to more of those coming in and just being able to hear how it touches people um, and how it moves people and and to just let it be what it's going to be in the world. And I think, Fletch, you said that this week, it's, you know, there's a time we get to judge it and that's when we're making it. And we did a lot of that. And there's a time where we just, we get to stop judging it and allow other people to, to feel what they want to feel and to have their own experience with it. And that's the beautiful thing of creative work. So I'm just excited to to have it out there. Yeah. Fletch, you know, one of my top 10 favorite people is your mom, but one of my top three favorite people is your nan. And uh, I think one of my favorite, every time I think of your nan, I think of when Henry's mom walked in on her in the bedroom on the floor and she just freaks out but it's because your nan sleeps on the ground by choice well yeah rebecca mama d thought that nan was dead and <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna put the photo flash the photo here because yeah. 
This photo is incredible. <laughs> and the, the the thing is for me, it's like up oh, just another person thinking she's dead, but she's not. <laughs> she's she is so severely in touch with the ground that it is just mimicking what we have seen on, you know, NCIS and CSI as as death. <laughs> and so <laughs> and, and so when HD's mom walked in for that stent, she definitely was caught off guard, but <laughs> yes, I, I've seen her do that so many times to people where it's become just, oh, yeah, she got another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then your mom and Henry's mom together are just, it's maybe the funniest duo I, I've ever interacted with, especially when we were on tour. And uh, gosh, remember, Henry, that one night your mom was so upset over over the uh, AC in the venue <laughs> and Leland was like firing her up as well and was like, yeah, this is ridiculous. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like they get together most of the times when we're releasing a project. And so when we're when we had this the premiere for this film, you know, we did the premiere in Charlotte. And so we're trying to bring all of the families and <laughs> friends together. And so there's such a heightened energy around it all. And so. My mom's got main character energy. HD's mom got main character energy. And they're just like, go, go, go. So you throw them both in the same room together. And they're just like a quadruple espresso, just making stuff happen. <laughs> Very true. And I can't even imagine if we added Mackenzie's mom to the mix. But oh my gosh, um, the fact that, you know, we, we kind of all are you know, middle children to some degree with uh, with a main character mom really says something about why the three of us have gotten so close. And so in our feelings too. Relatability. <laughs> Are right, you guys ready to dive in? Let's do it. Uh, yeah, head first. It's gonna be alright. If you can give your community permission, especially when it can go a long way. And only from that place of peace can a relationship truly be reconciled. <laughs> But if I stop and create a little space, then there's that room for a response. Then I can actually check in with myself. Guys, welcome back to Dudes with Feelings. Uh, we are dudes and we have feelings. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the fact that we just released a documentary film. And in the documentary film, we follow these three best friends as they overcome their own pain and then put on a creative arts festival. So we're going to be covering how to, or really their pain into purpose and pain into power and how your pain can serve you on your journey. So using storytelling and specifically their story as a model um, and a point to, to kind of rift on with this. Well, sadly, yeah, I feel like this, this is a big, I mean, it's a huge topic. It's, it's a big theme. I think we, we maybe all have like micro versions of this in our own lives where like something painful, uh, that seemed really dark or, uh, grim ended up becoming something beautiful and maybe something's already coming up for you guys. Um, but before we even get too deep into the larger story, I'm excited to share with you guys kind of a, a little bit about um, this specific story that is the documentary we made, Beyond the Beat, 
um, why we felt so impassioned to tell this story. Um, and it, it does have a lot to do with this, uh, this overcoming um, adversity and pain. Um, and I think what we saw was the, the purpose, right? We saw this um, incredible creative arts festival coming up um, in this unlikely place in northern Uganda um, after two decades of civil war. And, and I don't even think we knew too much about the war when we first heard about the, the festival, Fletch, but we saw that there was something beautiful happening. Um, what we uncovered since has been this just heart-wrenching story of of three best friends who each suffered in their own way um, to find this light within them, to, to band together, to create this, this beautiful thing. Um, and Fletch, can you maybe just like back us up a little bit? Let's like tell the story on how this came to be. How did we find um, this creative arts festival? How do we end up in Uganda? That's actually one of the, the leading questions I get when people, when I'm talking to people about the project was how did you guys hear about Beyond the Beat? How do you guys hear about this creative arts festival? And if I were to back up, it really happened uh, due to the first film we were working on, Blue Marble Sky, when we were following this traveling love wizard down the east coast of Africa. And he connected with Akuru George, who was teaching yoga and dance all throughout Uganda. And learning more about Akurut, his story, and uh, just spending time with him, I think he had such a profound impact on us. And we created this bond with him that when we went back to the States, we just kept in communication with him. And so when he told us about the Beyond the Beat, it, that quickly turned into, hey, do you guys want to come over and, and um, you know, participate and, and be, uh, be a, a part of this? And mm. so it, it was something for us where we felt where it went from, you know, one project to the next, and it was very seamless. Um, yeah, and there was, well, I just want to add in the wrinkle of, well, for one, the first time that we saw Kuru teach yoga, uh, I could just speak for myself here. I, I believe it's a similar story for you, Fletch, but it, there was something that like moved within me when I watched this guy teach yoga in a community center in this slum village in, uh, in Kampala, Uganda, 50 women, mostly terminally ill with pancreatic or with some version of cancer um, or HIV AIDS. And this guy was able to come in and share something that, that in that moment created this immediate sense of healing and joy in that space. Um, and it, it moved me. And I, I remember feeling like I want to be able to offer this to my community. I want to be able to offer something that is just so objectively good and life-giving. Um, and it really inspired me. And so when I went back, I started looking for, for teacher training, started talking to Fletch and he was on the same page and, and within months of returning from that first trip and meeting a guru, Fletch and I decided we wanted to, to teach. Um, and so we enrolled in teacher training and went on this journey. And part of that teacher training journey was we had to create a community event. Um, and so Fletch and I sat our whole yoga teacher training group down of 17 people, uh, shout out cohort 16. And we just pitched them on this project. It had to have some philanthropic 
um, a, you know, attachment to the event. And, and we told them about a Kuru. We told them about this event beyond the beat and how they were really trying to raise money for this uh, creative arts festival uh, in Northern Uganda. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if we even knew that much about it at the time, you know, we had, we had seen Coney 2012. So we knew a little bit about the war and we had looked more into it. But I think we really just believed in Akurut and we knew if he was doing it, it, it must be impactful and powerful. And so we pitched the whole group and they rallied behind us. And we ended up putting on this um, really cool community event in Charlotte uh, that was intended to raise money for Beyond the Beat. And that money that the cohort of our yoga teacher training raised ended up being what actually funded the festival and allowed that festival to happen in the way that it did. Uh, and amazingly too, a couple people from our yoga teacher training group were so inspired they wanted to come with us on the journey. Uh, so they're briefly seen in the film as well. I uh, just think it's such a cool side story as to what it really meant for this to all happen. It took an entire community rallying around and believing and supporting another community on the other side of the world that they never have and likely would never will get to meet. And really beyond the beat to paint the picture a little bit more, it's a full day event. And as it's grown, it's grown into having workshops um, for artists to further their craft. Um, but beyond the beat is really focused for the youth. It's focused for giving them a platform to be seen, to be heard. And um, while there is a dance competition, it's really under this umbrella of expression, under the, ex under the umbrella of play. And so kids from all over the region, all over the north of Uganda, will find a way to come to Kitgum for this event. And, and some kids, as we came to find out, they hold this day uh, of Beyond the Beat, of the Arts Festival, above Christmas, above their birthdays, because it, it's just there's so much energy and joy around this single day. And so being able to, um, you know, witness this event and then capture it and then bring it back over to a Western audience was just so eye-opening to see how, you know, with the little resources they had, they could still put on such an impactful event for the community and for the youth over there. Mm -hmm. So that's basically what we knew going into it. We knew there was an event. That's what McKenzie knew too. He knew he was going to be editing something that we were going to go over and shoot. I mean, do you remember anything else about it before we launched out on the trip, Mackenzie? Well, you guys launched right when we finished the East Coast tour of Blue Marble Sky because you guys flew right out of New York, right? And mm -hmm. gosh, um, I just remember for the two and a half weeks you guys were gone, um, not hearing from you guys very much, and both of your mothers, speak of which, were just messaging me the entire time. Like, have you heard from them? And like, nope, haven't heard from them. Like, we're getting worried. We haven't heard from them in a week. And um, uh, so that was my beyond the beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mackenzie had no idea what was going on, um, I guess, behind <laughs> the scenes. But um, this was just, it was like a gift that kept giving it in terms of the story of it. Because uh, I think we knew when something this beautiful emerges, there's always a story to it. Um, we didn't fully understand what that story was when we went over there. Obviously, we knew it was 
um, in a part of the world that uh, was considered one of the most impoverished areas uh, globally. Uh, we knew it's an area that had undergone a lot of trauma um, related to the war that had happened there, the Civil War, uh, where Joseph Coney uh, was, we knew that he was involved in, in creating this army of child soldiers um, and that that was happening right around Kitgum where Beyond the Beat was and that there, that was obviously closely related. Uh, but the truth is we didn't even have enough time to to fully launch into a pre-production or figure this this all out because we were on this tour and and this all came together really quickly kind of within a month to two months uh, and before we knew it we were over there and so a lot of this was starting to piece together man what like wow this this event means more than we thought and and the the likelihood that this event would would happen just seemed more and more miraculous as we learned more about both the people that put it on um, and the context of um, of northern Uganda and the history of the region um, as to why this event holds so much weight. And I, I think, HD, I remember when we got over there and, and, you know, there are very long days we were filming. And um, you could tell that through our eyes and you could also tell that through our skin because our skin was getting burnt to a crisp and um i remember there there was just one day in particular we looked at each other and we're getting really frustrated because we don't know what the story is yet and we're just trying so hard to figure out like what is the story because this is guerrilla filmmaking at its finest right we're functioning off of a skeleton crew of two, uh, a very minimal budget, um, and improvisation is, you know, is our greatest teacher, foe, and friend all at the same time. And so th the story is us trying to, or the story is is really kind of running away from us, and we're trying to catch it. And I remember it was bugging you so much, and because you felt like the missing piece of this story was understanding message and understanding his story. Talk a little bit about what that was like for you and um, maybe how we were able to formulate a, a relationship with him. Hmm. Yeah, so just for context, there's three main characters in Beyond the Beat. One of them is Akuru, who we spoke to. Um, another is Totem who actually was one of Akuru's friends who we met on our first trip to Uganda. So we knew two out of the three founders. The third founder, when we first got there, wasn't there. And his name was Message. And we kept hearing all about him. Um, so, you know, we'd hear you say, I'm here because Message inspired me and, and Message this and Message that. And and we we hadn't met him. Um, so he was running a little late because he was coming from another event. Um, and so when he arrived, it was just immediately obvious that this guy carries a presence unlike anyone I'd ever been around his ability to communicate what he felt inside and, and why he does what he does uh, was remarkable I, I I remember the first interview we got with him at the youth center and his ability to speak and uh, in all of those things combined it just became very clear to me this this guy uh, has a story to tell and we need to hear it. And he's a key piece to what we're talking about here in this story we're wanting to tell. Uh, but he was a hard guy to kind of crack open. You know, you could get him to say the inspirational statements. and But 
what I think we were craving was, hey, we, what makes you move? What motivates you to do this? What, where do you come from? And like, why, why do you do this? And, um, and so those were things that, that required us to build trust with him. And I think we had some of that trust with the Karut and with Totem, but we didn't have it with Message. And we didn't have that long to build it. And in the, the heat of this too, they're planning this event and we're trying to schedule interviews and go to their homes and, and are, are being a bit intrusive, you know, obviously trying to be really sensitive to the fact that they're, um, they're, they're doing this event and they're, they're wanting us to be there. Of course, they're excited we're there, but we're trying to not get in their way. Um, and message, especially being uh, such a natural leader, um, was just all over the place. And so trying to track him down and, and have those moments where we felt like we could build trust. And it, you're right, it was starting to get to me because I felt like if we didn't get this guy's story, we're missing, we're missing the story. We don't have the story. And it's amazing because it, it took until really after Beyond the Beat, after the event, uh, we got there about five days before Beyond the Beat. And we were able to get the interview with Akurut, visit his hometown with Totem, and, and we built those relationships. But it took until the day after Beyond the Beat where Message was able to kind of slow down and take a breath. And we, we finally got that quality time with him and we, we got to see and be seen by him. Uh, and, and I felt that the trust started to be built that when we actually went to Gulu with Message and visited his home and he invited us into his home, there was uh, a real relationship there formed that allowed him to really authentically share his story uh, and to, to break down the walls, to be vulnerable, to, um, yeah, to, to go to a place where I know it was not easy or it wasn't comfortable. Uh, but what it created is what I believe is the most powerful moment in the film and really one of uh, the most remarkable stories I've ever uh, had the privilege of telling um, especially when it came to to learning that he had been abducted into Coney's army as a child soldier. And this is something we didn't know for the first week of knowing this guy. We had no idea that he had been a child soldier. And I mean, I mean it was just, it was mind blowing to learn that. And uh, you're right, Fletch, like Message's story is something that I think about weekly, if not daily, uh, because he is such a rich um rich presence and person in this world. And uh, I feel just so grateful that we got to to share that with him and share his story. And I, I think you're right on with the trust factor. And I think that was something that you can't force, right? Especially because the art of documentary film so is you're dealing with real life people and their real life stories. And so for us, it was such like this balancing act of, you know, wanting to do our jobs and go over there and, and be great storytellers and filmmakers, but also being good humans and, and respecting, um, you know, space and boundaries and, and how people naturally open up and formulate that trust. Um, you know, we're coming into their environment, their space. So being um, respectful guess is is something that I think takes time and you know when he did open up I remember having this full body sensation of just like whoa this just added so much depth to the story because he's such a deep guy 
And so now the the film and the 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 story as a whole just got so much deeper because this guy just allowed us to see the depths of his soul. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that's so challenging um, for us to do in our relationships is, you know, be willing to first see ourselves in that way and then be able to express that to other people, um, let alone express it on film and on tape. And yeah. so the fact that he, you know, gave himself permission and then was able to to sink in in the hut and um, just go to that level, I think created such a, a moment of impact um, for this film and, and for us uh, as humans too, you know? Yeah. And I'm curious, I mean, and maybe you can comment on this Mackenzie, like what, and, and if you've seen the film, you know what we're talking about. There's this moment where he's crying in his hut. He's talking about this hole in, in the hut that his brother sleeps in. And he's thinking about how it gets filled up with rainwater and, and just how crushing that is to him. This is someone who, experienced so much in his life that would have hardened him to life. Uh, so much like his parents uh, were largely abusive, like not present. Uh, he lived on the street. He um, never had any means. He was having to steal for food. And then he was abducted as a child soldier, rejected when he returned, all of these bad things that would have hardened him. But what I saw in that moment was someone whose heart was soft. Like he had managed to keep this immense amount of love and his life is is an expression of that he still lives in service uh he gives back he uh seeks to inspire youth and what is it that allows men to get to the point in which they can be vulnerable in that way Uh, even if they've gone through pain they're they're able to step in and and show a side of themselves that uh, may be traditionally uh described as weak You have to first understand what the opposite of that is. Most men focus on the results and focus their value on the results, meaning they want to be wealthy. They want to have freedom. They want to have this feeling of power and um, they want to feel as though they're able to provide they want to present security for people in their lives. Those are all results. Those are all outcomes. But what Jeffrey tapped into was the key to to understanding purpose in life, which is two fundamental concepts. One of which is he's not asking what the result needs to be or what the result is in his desires. He's asking, what's my mission? What am I doing to help the world? Rather than sitting there going, how can I make a million dollars this year? How can I buy that car I want? He's not thinking about that at all. He's thinking about the mission. And I think he's thinking about the mission because he understands the other fundamental truth, which is his pains, his struggles, the trauma he's experienced in life 
is happening and has happened for him, not to him. And it happened for him so that he can shape his mission in life, so that he can help those other men, those other boys who are struggling with creativity. And I think it's so easy to get trapped in the mindset of my wife is leaving me, I got cheated on, all these horrible things have happened to me. And my job is to just kind of get through it and try to be happier. But what Jeffrey understands is the fundamental truth, which is these things happened for me so that I can find purpose. Hmm. Well said. Yeah, and I think that theme really does emerge in all three of their stories. Um, as I know, Karut as well, you know, being essentially left uh, by his mom when he was eight, forced to fend for himself and his younger brother for a year and a half before his mom returned and eventually brought him to meet his dad, who he never met at 10 years old, um, having to experience for Totem as well, like being put in jail by his dad, but having to experience the loss of family members and to live in a, in a region uh, that was tormented by war, where people were being put in these really government-run concentration camps. And Totem spent time there where they were starving all the time. There was horrible um, conditions in these camps. And we talk about in the film that uh, it's, it's expected nearly a million people died in these camps. That's insane. Like 90% of the population of Acholi land, the northern region, was displaced during this war. And so it's there was some of this stuff in this, the making of this film, especially as we got into the history and really trying to deeply understand what was happening during the war, where I just remember we'd have to look at each other and be like, I can't even imagine. Like I'm sitting here trying and I can't imagine what that would have been like to be in one of those camps or to be a young kid. Uh, who's taken from their homes and, and forced into an army uh, and given a gun at age six, eight, uh, told to, I mean, horrible things, guys, like to, to murder your best friend, to murder your family. Like the stories that we heard through the making of this is humanity at its at its absolute worst in moments. And, and the trauma, I mean, we can't compare trauma because suffering is experienced the same way, regardless of where we are and who we are. But when it comes to the degree of pain and suffering, what these three guys experience and what the, the region of Acholi land in northern Uganda experience is just beyond my comprehension. And I think for me, like the greatest, the, the most beautiful thing about this is that something beautiful emerged from the ashes. And this event is such an expression of that. It's not the only thing beautiful that emerged from that. But it's a, it's an expression of what it what it can mean when 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 we actually choose to see that our pain is for us, like you said, Mackenzie. That it's it's actually um, it's trying to guide us towards our true purpose. And these three guys felt that so convictingly. They did not feel sorry for themselves at all. There was no victim mindset, and I it convicted a lot of parts of me that I think was maybe feeling sorry for myself at that point in my life or like feeling like the world wasn't for me. And if these guys can see that that trauma and actually flip that and turn the story and see that that's part of their purpose and that drives them and motivates them to go out and serve and to, to change the world, 
then it something in me feels like, well, I, I, no, I, 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 can, I can do that too. And I think all of us can do that in our own way. Yeah, I feel like there is there is such a heaviness around a lot of subjects over there um, that, you know, whether it came through going and diving into the history and knowing what had happened in the region or just hearing stories, there was, there was so much weight to stuff that was being talked about. And to see this festival be such a a day of levity, right, of just lightness um, was beautiful. And to hear and see how it's not only inspiring, um, but it's creating these ripples all throughout uh, people's lives. And, and that being such a beautiful and inspiring thing to capture. Um, but that you know, we came back, I think, struggled so many times with the idea of the fact that we're able to, you know, sit in a room that has a TV, that has AC, and, you know, just the the idea of being able to talk about these topics with fresh water in our hands and uh, being in a area that we can express ourselves freely it became very tough, you know, at times to kind of navigate what they had gone through, what they were going through, and then just us being privileged to live where we live. Um, can one of you guys kind of talk about that and how maybe that came up for you or us as a team when we were editing this project? I think it it goes along one of the criticisms I've heard from people who have not watched the film, um, which is, oh, of course, you're doing a story about three guys in Africa who experienced horrible things. Like, that's just a pity fest. Um, but again, I think what made me buy into the project so much was this simple truth that we aren't sharing these stories to pity these boys um we're not sharing the story to make you feel guilty for being in a western culture um and to have air conditioning and all these things that was not the mission of the film the mission of the film was to remove any excuses you have for not being creative and for not finding purpose through your pain these were extreme examples and extreme circumstances. But now how can you apply that same concept into your own life where you look at some of the things that are happening for you and you don't sit there and go, dang, there are people out there who are a lot worse than me, but you sit there and go, wow, a Kurut message and totem had no, had nothing stand in their way. And they had so much pain and tribulations to go through to get there to find the purpose and meaning into their lives. And by us taking that road and finding our purpose, finding our meaning, finding our mission through our pain, we're actually following, we're, we're actually successfully um, 
creating the impact that Message Totem and Akurut intended, which was we want to inspire the youth. We want to inspire everyone out there to get creative, to find their their path in life despite their pain. And that's what I think was so powerful about their message is we take you to this extreme example. And now how, how do you apply that in your life? Um, I think that's what made me so excited about the film because I think it's so easy to make a pity piece about certain difficult things that happen in other parts of the globe. And this one was just rooted in hope, like what your what Nan said, Fletch. You know, it's like I just felt mm-hmm. so hopeful. Um, yeah, and that's what I think people want to get away from this film. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it, and I, I do think it does that. I think it, that message of hope was really important from the beginning. And to be honest, coming back was a weird transition back. Like I just remember being super down like it wasn't you come back from vacation and you're like that was nice like I feel rested and peaceful and it was like I am rethinking and refiltering a lot of my life uh seeing things differently uh certainly just having to confront different areas and it just took a while to process and I remember my family even like six months later was like we haven't heard anything about your trip to Uganda Cause I wasn't really sure how to talk about it. And I think in many ways, this film was, was the, the turning the pain of what I felt like I experienced and kind of took on over there and, and putting that into something that hopefully could inspire someone else. And, um, you know, so I, I think there's a lot of that Fletch and I, you know, we were really sensitive to the fact of being white filmmakers telling a predominantly black story, um, especially an African story and a culture that we don't understand. And, I think the other part of it was just really leaning on those guys um and you know so much of it was platforming them sharing what we felt like they they had decided was a way that they were healing mm. uh, and just just trying to stay objective to uh to honor their stories to check in with them and uh to not make it about us but really to keep it centered on them and in the message that they had communicated to us they wanted to share with the world a message that we also aligned with and felt really connected to and also just genuinely felt inspired by their message. Um, and so that was kind of the, you know, as McKinsey's saying, that was kind of the hope and the goal. And, you know, we can only hope that we, we accomplish that and, and, and it continues, you know, it's, this isn't a, a stuck film. It's like, it's something that asks something of us uh, to think about what is that best next step that, that each of us can take when it comes to that, the thing that, stops us or stumps us from believing we have something to offer the world. And we keep coming back to this word creativity. I mean, it really is just this idea that there's something that doesn't exist in the world um, that only you can create. Like each of us have a uniqueness to us and our stories, our experiences shape that uniqueness. And so when you create from that place and that true essence, you're creating from your experiences, the good and the bad. And it's often the pain that, allows us to create something that we could have never imagined something more beautiful um, and i think that's what happened in the case of beyond the beat and um, this film challenged me to think about my own life my own struggles and suffering and how might i be able to do something um, that moves me in the direction of using that for good uh, and all the creative avenues are 
in play there, whether it's dance or poetry or writing or singing or even speaking. Um, there's DJ, right? Like there, we, we heard them all. And all of these kids had found their own portals to healing uh, through the, the umbrella of creativity. And I also just don't think I had ever thought about creativity as a healing mechanism in that way. Uh, and, and that was so powerful, especially because this community doesn't have the support that uh, most post-traumatic communities in the world would get. They don't. They don't have the financial support. They don't have the therapist coming in to, to organize these uh, sessions. And they had a little bit of that, but very, very little. So it has been on the community to figure out how can we heal from this, this deeply traumatic period of our history. And the fact that in the wake of that, the youth have decided creativity is the platform they want to use to heal. It says a lot about how powerful creativity is to me. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the film and uh, you stick around to Beyond the Beat, you get to see some of these kids dance. And that was some of the most jaw drop dropping things I'd ever seen was just the way these kids would dance because they're not just dancing to dance. They're dancing to say something, they're dancing to express something. They're dancing with feelings that they want to get out into the world. And, yeah. you know, it's, we can both be moving our bodies but the intention and the motivation behind why we're moving, I think changes the movement itself. And that's why when we were like thinking of taglines for the film, it's like move and be moved was something that kept coming up for us is because we were moved. We were moved by the story and we wanted to capture it to move others. Um, and, and that was something that, you know, played so many times for us. You can think about the physical movement and then you can think about the movement of, of feelings. And um, they go so hand in hand in this film and, and the physical poses and postures and all the creative avenues are just mechanisms and, and outlets for those feelings um, for these kids. And it was so, like you're saying, H, it was so, so powerful to see the ways in which they were empowering each other and uh, the community at large. Hmm. That's where painting turns into fresh painting. <laughs> oh, it's just, <laughs> I was thinking about Fletch. You remember the dance they do um, where, and this didn't make it in the film, but it's like they did these group dances that uh, we couldn't capture them all and a lot of them had licensing issues, so we couldn't actually throw them in the film. <laughs> But one of them was this, it's like the Lion King Broadway song. Oh, God. He lives in you. We should just throw that raw clip up, up on Instagram, it's like, man. Because it's every time I watch it, I, I literally move to tears. And it's so powerful. And to me, when I think about a, like dancing for something greater than, than dance, right? Beyond the beat. The name of the film is about how there's something more to our creativity. There's something more than the beat, than the dance, than the poetry. It's it's moving us towards love, towards unity, towards the things that actually bring us closer uh, to our truth and to love. Um, I mean, that's that that song and that dance in, embodies that for me. Yeah, man, that was 
I'm telling you, like watching some of these kids dance, it, I'll never look at dance the same. I'll never look at rap. I'll never look at expression. I mean, I literally came back and got a DJ board because I, I was so inspired by Crazy Mind. You know, he taught me how to DJ and that like we have as humans, I think we get inspired by stories and we get inspired by watching how other people live and we have the, the power to turn on something in someone else simply by sharing. And so if you share something with someone else, it's like, oh, yeah, like maybe I should get into photography. Maybe I should get into DJing. And that for me was like, yeah. I love DJ and I love music. <laughs> well, and Crazy Mind, yeah, he's inspiring. But Obina, <laughs> that dude, dude's got no it. one he's... can freestyle like Obina. <laughs> like the rhythm, rhythm of a viper. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. There's just some amazing kids over there. I think it was too cool, too Fletch, to feel like, yeah, we, maybe we're a little older than some of the youth there, but um, just to feel like we kind of found like the the synonymous community on the other side of the world that like we would fit in if we were born in Uganda. Like there was just this common shared humanity piece that it was so easy to drop in and like connect with these kids. And, uh, and I don't know, it was, that almost shocked me. I just, I didn't know it would be, it'd feel so natural. Like we've already known these people. Well, that's the beauty of, I think art, right? Art and movement and, all these different uh, like interests, what they do is they, they provide some level of uh, like a, an opportunity, I think, to, to share, right? And I think with that sharing um, then becomes this beautiful opportunity to create connection. And I think there is just like such a genuine exchange, right? We kept coming back to that word. This is an exchange, right? And... Um, yeah, that, that, that beautiful, like global exchange of us sharing some ways in which our skills or things that we do and how we do things and then them sharing certain things like that's the most beautiful thing to me is when you can be a teacher and student in your life and, and create that that balance. Absolutely. All right. So what's, uh, I mean, we, we talk about this larger theme. There's so much to explore in beyond the beat. And this conversation is really just a launching pad and we hope at the bare minimum, it inspires you to go watch the film, which you can watch on prime video and you can get it right now. So go and watch beyond the beat. Cause I think it'll give a lot of, um, color to this conversation. And this larger theme, and we leave you guys with it and beyond the beat, obviously still watch the end. This doesn't ruin the end, but this theme of turning pain into purpose and, and, and actually creating through our pain, um, what's the action step? Like, how does that get practical in people's lives? What I would say is think about your life. Think about moments in your life that you draw back to and you put in and under the category of pain. And what have you done to overcome that pain? And just spend some time reflecting, whether it be in a, a journal or, um, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do to uh, reflect. But personally, I love journaling. And that's my offering to you is to think about some moments of your life where you would categorize them as pain and how 
did you overcome them? I think it's a simple question that you should go back to and ask yourself every time you feel like a victim. And that is, how can this pain happen for me? How can I use this pain to find my purpose and to find my mission or to solidify my purpose and mission? Um, and if you can seriously stop yourself in those moments that you victimize yourself and say that at the end of the day, there is accountability in attracting these things to begin with. Um, I think you can look at Totem Akurut message and say, there's no reason why I shouldn't look into how my life is happening for me rather than to me. Yeah, it's reminding me of that conversation we had, uh, Mackenzie and I, I remember we, we flew up to New York and interviewed this um, meditation kind of um, experience in Buddhism. Uh, just an amazing guy. And he talked about suffering being like a, a sign that's like pointing us back, right? Like it's pointing us back to our path. Um, and it's, it's actually showing us the way. Um, and so there is, I mean, I'm hearing that in both of you guys, like, is there a way that I, I can gain a fresh perspective on what this suffering is and what it's for? Um, and I think that is so powerful. And then from a creativity lens, I just went back through all my notes and you know, I've never really considered myself a poet. Maybe uh, the, the kids in, beyond, in, in Uganda helped me see myself more that way. But it's amazing how much poetry I, re I realize I've written the last five years. And I don't do it thinking like I'm, I'm a poet. I need to be a poet. I just do it because it, I like kind of have to. I kind of need to. It helps me get to that place where I can have a new perspective. And so what is that creative outlet for you? And if that voice is saying I'm not creative, just know that's just immediately knock it down and back to the floor and, and say that's not true because you are. You put on clothes this morning. You have a uniqueness to you. So what is one way in which you can express your creativity, even if it feels a little uncomfortable? and and just try it, just try it on. Cause I notice a lot of times the pain, even if I'm not aware of it, like the stuff that I've experienced comes out when I, when I allow my essence to show through some creative medium um, and just see what that feels like. Why not? You, you got nothing to lose. And if you do, we'd love to hear about it. And uh, you know, our goal is to, to continue to make stuff that, that helps you guys. Um, I think we'll take on that challenge. I hope you guys will take on that challenge with me this week. Let's continue to to create through our pain. I thought you were bringing up New York because that's where my heart was broken, but that's okay. But it's been healed and it's found. It's been healed. It's pain. been found. <laughs> <laughs> what a so guys, um, we'll leave kind of the some some more stuff in the show notes regarding Beyond the Beat. Once again, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, it's not too much money. How much is it? Two ninety nine. Like three dollars to rent. Yeah. Wow. Three bucks. That's less than um, a coffee fudge. Maybe one shot of espresso, not two. Maybe two. <laughs> but yeah, guys, we're thinking about doing a, a whole like behind the scenes of it. So if you guys would want to hear more on the making of the film, um, you can even leave some comments below, and we'll be happy to dive deeper into it. So watch the film, then leave some comments here, so we know what to talk about. 
Fletch, sign us off with a word, man. What's the word? <clears throat> Intentionalist. Is that a word? Not a word. But we're gonna go <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hold on. Are you kidding? Hold on. Let's let's Google Intentionalist. this. Intentionalist. <laughs> yeah, like if there's a, a minimalist, there has to be intentionalist. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. Uh, minimalist intentionalist is a business, but I'm not seeing a literal word definition. And on that note, later, guys. Peace. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> pick a different word, Fletch. Minimalist. <laughs> <laughs> There's intentionalism. That's a word. God, okay, I yeah, I just feel like intentional because I that's how I identify as. I identify as an intentionalist, so that's really hard to hear. That's not a word. So. Um, Intentionalism is the theory that the meaning of any text is determined by the intention of its author, whether stated or not. So that has nothing to do with, I think, what you were talking Okay, what about... Okay, I'm going to try one more word. Tell me if this is one. What about a necessary... No, a necessary... <laughs> if something's necessary, necessary a list? Let's pick a word with maybe one or two syllables this time. Here we go. Okay. Ready? Three, two... One whale. Perfect. Perfect. Peace. <laughs> hey guys, thanks for getting to the end with us. We really appreciate y'all being here. Um, make sure wherever you're listening to this to go rate it and share it with a friend. Uh, it really helps get the word out there about this podcast. And there's one more thing that I really want to share with you guys. Beyond the Beat, which is a film we've been working on for the last several years, is officially live on Amazon. This is a big deal for us, and we really uh, would love to hear what you guys think about it. So go and watch Beyond the Beat. It's this story about these three amazing friends who started a creative arts festival in the wake of a two-decade civil war in northern Uganda. The film explores the potential and the power of art and creativity uh, to inspire communities and really to bring healing in our lives and, and in communities all around the world. Um, we think there's a ton of value in it, and we had a blast making it. Uh, so please go go check it out and let us know what you think. And we'll see you next week. Peace, y'all.